Hey friends, just so you know, we enjoy the swear word and we rely on good old fashioned humor to get through some seriously dark subject matter. At no time do we intend any disrespect toward the victims or families of the victims in the cases we cover. Also, be sure to listen to the end for a few palate cleansing bloopers to reset your mindset. And with that, we thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy. everyone. Welcome to Cry Will Tell. I'm Carrie. And I'm Jamie. Today's case is about Robert Hansen, Alaska's most notorious serial killer, also known as the Butcher Baker. Oh, yeah. Those are some cool things to be known as. <laughs> and this is a doozy of a case. He is an absolute piece of shit monster. I mean, this guy is just horrific. And this is a very well-known case. It has been widely covered. However, the only reason why we're covering it is because my lovely cousin Amy, who's been an OG fan since day one, she requested this case because she was very interested to hear our take on it. Nice. This is also going to be a two-parter. Yes. Because there's so much. And it's just heavy and gnarly and just, it's, it's gnarly. But the good news is for all y'all that are listening, you don't have to wait two weeks for part two. We'll drop that the following Sunday. So next Sunday. Right. Three weeks in a row. Also, huge motherfucking warning here. If you are not familiar with the details of what Robert Hansen did to his his victims, we're going to be talking about abduction, torture, hunting, vicious sexual assaults, rape. I mean, we're a true crime podcast, so naturally what we cover is dark and disgusting and horrifying, but I just wanted to double click on the themes we're going to be covering in both right. parts. Okay. So this one's going to be a doozy. This is going to be a doozy. It's super fucking gnarly. All James, right. did you know there's a difference between the meaning of kidnapping and the meaning of abduction? Because these terms are used mm. interchangeably. Yeah. But there's actually, there's a distinct difference. Huh. Okay. I, yeah. I guess I'd never really. Because, you know, I was writing this and I'm like, what's the difference between, is there a difference? Like coat and jacket. There's really no difference. Or yeah. maybe there is. I, I mean, haven't even looked that up. My only guess would be kidnapping seems more with a kid. Abduction, I think, is more applied to like an adult being taken. You would think that it's about kid, but th that's not actually what I found. What I found was when someone is kidnapped, they're usually taken as a hostage for purposes of demanding a ransom for the safe return of said person. Ah, okay. Whereas when someone is abducted, they are usually taken against their will, either by force or deception, usually for the purpose of committing a crime against that person, like fucking with that person, harming that person. Gotcha. Okay. Do you have your beverage to get through this? I do. And can we also, speaking of OG 
listeners, our dear friend and listener, LP, got us yep. some sweet glasses for our Tumblers. bourbon yep. that have our logo, the podcast logo, logo etched into the glasses. Yes, she did. To celebrate episode 10. Yeah. Like we had we, gotten to episode 10. Yeah. She, we saw her Friday and she surprised us with those. And it's like the sweetest, coolest thing ever. LP, you were just amazing. Yeah. I got a little teary eyed. It was, and they're so fucking cool. Those glasses are so cool. So those are going to be our, our bourbon glasses from now on. Yeah. Cause we had like our- shitty little juice glasses that we were using. <laughs> <laughs> and these are like sweet. Yeah. So cheers. Clink. All right. We're going to scoot around the last several decades as we go through the story. But to start, we're going back only a couple of years to October 2021. Okay. By this time, 37 years have gone by with the body discovered by authorities in 1984 being known only as Horseshoe Harriet. Hmm. Her body was found near Horseshoe Lake, which is situated near Little Susitna River a few miles outside Anchorage, Alaska. She was finally identified in October 2021, 37 years after her body had been found, as Robin Pelkey wow. through genetic genealogy and a DNA, DNA match. Wow. So genetic genealogy is fucking cool. So yeah. right from the jump, I'm going to take us down just a, just a short rabbit hole on how at a very extraordinarily high and simplified level, genetic genealogy testing works. And then I'll reorient us back to the case. Okay. So essentially, genetic genealogy is the combination of marrying your own personal DNA profile with that of millions of other DNA profiles uploaded into various genetic databases by millions of individuals across the globe. And there are like a handful of genetic companies that have databases. So depending on which company you go with, your results can vary because it all depends on all the other people that have uploaded their results. Right. The the results you get can lead you to discover long lost relatives, help you understand the location where you biologically hail from. Like, are you from Eastern Europe? Are you from the Mideast or whatever? It can help you trace your family tree, sometimes back thousands of years. And sometimes you can uncover really useful medical information. So for example, You might be able to discover genes within your familial lines responsible for genetic conditions like certain heart defects or chromosomal abnormalities that manifest as mental or physical handicaps. So genetic genealogy is really fucking cool. Like I said, depending on which database you use, your personal results can be hit or miss. There are an estimated more than 30 million people who have analyzed their own DNA profiles and have uploaded those profiles into the different genetic databases that are out there. So think 23andMe, Ancestry.com. And every day, more and more people upload their profiles. So the databases are always growing. Mm -hmm. So the effectiveness and the accuracy of your own results will depend on how many people with your familial lines have uploaded their profiles to the databases you use. Gotcha. When genetic okay. genealogy testing burst onto the scene, the test itself was super cost prohibitive. So like normals, like you and me, we were completely priced out of the market. But now this test is dirt cheap. Basically, genealogy DNA testing hunts for similarities in DNA between your own unique DNA profile 
and that of all the millions of profiles within the genetic database you're using. And there are three different types of genetic genealogy testing. There's the Y chromosome testing, the mitochondrial DNA testing, and the autosomal DNA, or at DNA testing. And they each look for something specific. And I'm not going to get into all like what they are all about, but they look for something specific. So if the Y chromosome testing can only be done on males because females don't have the Y chromosome. Mitochondrial DNA testing can be done on anyone because every single person gets mitochondrial DNA passed down from the mother. Mm -hmm. Autosomal DNA is a more expansive type where it looks at your entire profile, but it excludes the Y chromosome and the mitochondrial to get to the rest of the parts. So they're all different and they all do different things, but most people are familiar with mitochondrial in the true crime. Because if you think about like forensic files or cold case files, you often hear sometimes mitochondrial DNA being a testing when the testing of one of the DNA pieces is missing. And so they're trying to trying to go from a familiar or a genetic line. And so you hear mitochondrial DNA testing for that a lot. Hmm. Some people are still on the fence though about genetic DNA testing. And they're completely against not only getting their DNA profile mapped, but then uploading that map into genetic databases. It's also my understanding that for authorities like the FBI or the CIA or any police department, in order for them to be able to use your your DNA profile, you must intentionally opt in. So even though you upload your genetic profile to a database, if you don't intentionally opt in, it can't just be used. The FBI can't be rifling through, which is why they have their own DNA profile database and that they can't just go out to 23andMe or Ancestry.com. So there is a level of safety, if you will. The authorities can't go rooting around willy-nilly. How do you feel about it? How do you feel about DNA testing? I think it's great. And it answered a lot of questions. I was a little disappointed with some of my results. Are you part cat? A little bit. Yeah, just a teensy <laughs> bit. Um, yeah. But I love that it's connected a lot of people. And I know that it's helped solve a lot of crimes and it's being used more and more and more to yeah. solve like old cold cases and exonerate people and whatever. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, fuck yeah, let's totally take advantage of these and solve some crimes. So I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, investigators in Robin Pelkey's case, they were able to use genetic genealogy and DNA matching to ultimately identify her. Robin turned out to be a victim of Robert Hansen. After she crossed paths with him in Alaska in the winter of 1983, when she was just 19 years old. Mm -hmm. And years later, Hansen did end up confessing to killing Robin, who was a sex worker in Anchorage, when he approached her for sex. He admitted to abducting her, flying her to Horseshoe Lake in his airplane, where he subsequently tortured her, raped her, and then murdered and dumped her body. Mm. Hansen couldn't provide investigators with any information about Pelkey when he confessed back in 1984. He hadn't even bothered to get her name. So he couldn't even help them by giving, he didn't know anything. Wow. When Robin's body was originally discovered in 1984, an autopsy was conducted and authorities learned that the remains they had discovered belonged to a young white female, likely between the ages of 17 and 23. And we now know she was 19. They attempted to match the details they knew at the time to missing person cases, but they came up empty. 
Pelkey's body, still unidentified at the time, was buried in the Anchorage Municipal Cemetery in Alaska as an unknown. Mm. 30 years later, in 2014, Horseshoe Harriet's case, that was her nickname because they didn't know who she was, was reopened because of advancements in DNA technology. So cold case detectives were like, fuck yeah, I want to see if I can get an identity here. Right. Authorities were really hopeful that these advancements might be able to provide an avenue to identify her remains. So again, this was in 2014. So they exhumed her body and they took DNA samples and sent them to an FBI lab to create a DNA profile, which was then uploaded into the FBI's missing persons database. But no luck, no hits. Investigators struck out. So authorities tried again six years later in September of 2020, but this time they tried with genetic genealogy, which was proving to be really helpful in identifying unknown victims and suspects. Just like you just said, genetic genealogy was pivotal. Genetic genealogy was pivotal in identifying the Golden State Killer recently. Right. So. In September 2020, according to authorities, a bone sample from Pelkey's body was sent to a private lab where more samples of DNA were extracted to conduct whole genome sequencing. I will not take us down another rabbit hole on whole, whole genome sequencing, but the tagline is WGS, because it's easier to say, identifies every single gene and all your chromosomes in your DNA. So it's like a whole profile of your DNA strand, which is massive. So they sent this data to yet another lab where a full DNA profile was created and uploaded into a public access genealogy database like 23andMe or whatever. A handful of close matches were generated, those people that opted in, which were used to construct a family tree. Through these actions, authorities learned that there was a strong possibility that the body could belong to a young woman by the name of Robin Pelkey, who was born in Colorado in 1963. Alaska state troopers were like, well, okay, so who the fuck is Robin Pelkey? We got to find this girl. Is she still out there? Maybe this is her. So they started investigating her and they tracked her to living in Anchorage in the early 1980s, but they couldn't find any indications that she was alive and well after 1984. Hmm. The troopers did locate relatives of Robin living in Arkansas and Alaska. So they contacted those relatives to get more details and information on Robin. And in interviews with investigators, her family shared that, yep, she did live in Anchorage in the 1970s, but she had moved to Arkansas for a time. But then she moved back to Alaska in 1981, where she lived with her father and stepmother for a little bit. She ended up living on the streets of Anchorage, where she began working as a sex worker to make money and then vanished around 1982 or 1983. Wow. The family couldn't explain why Robin's parents, who were both had passed by the time these interviews were conducted, they had never reported her missing. And the sure. family couldn't explain why that was the case. They, they didn't know. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, a DNA match with a close relative in Arkansas positively identified the body as Robin Pelkey. Wow. The Alaska state troopers that had investigated Robin's case and who had worked diligently over all of the almost four decades, they worked diligently to finally give Horseshoe Harriet her rightful name. They paid for a new grave marker for Robin's grave, mm -hmm. effectively ending her years as an unknown. Oh, 
Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's really okay. amazing. So who the fuck is this piece of shit Robert Hansen? Yeah. He was born Robert Christian Hansen on February 15th, 1939 in Esterville, Iowa. Wah, wah. Yeah. The only uh, child to parents Christian and Edna Hansen. Just to be it's, clear, also, we went bleh, because we're both were born in Iowa. Not that we have anything against the state of Iowa. Okay. We don't. It was just we're from Iowa. And so. Yeah. We don't I want that to, motherfucker to be. Yes, exactly. Okay. So his father, Christian, was an immigrant from Denmark and was 31 when Robert was born. Edna was from Iowa and was just 22. I don't know how long they were dating before that, but that's quite an age difference if they were dating yeah, that's, a little bit before is. that. His father was a baker and was known for being a very strict disciplinarian. As a child, Hansen worked very long days in the bakery his father owned, like would be forced to get up and be in the bakery by like 2 a.m., and then have Shit. to work, and then go to school, and then go back to the bakery, and then get a couple of hours of sleep, and then start the routine over again. And of course, when he was there, he was working under his father's strict authoritarian nature. So there was a lot of rigidity in his childhood and upbringing. And I'm sure being an only child didn't help because there w- wasn't anyone else in the home to divert his father's attention. Mm. So he, he wasn't an outgoing or confident teen. He was painfully shy. He was quiet, probably to be like a wallflower, like don't pay attention to me. And the quieter I am, maybe the less shit I'll get from my dad. And he suffered from a stutter that was a symptom of being forced to write with his right hand because he was a natural lefty. This was during the time when being left-handed was looked at as a developmental abnormality. Mm Mm-hmm. It wasn't uncommon for parents to force their left-handed kids to write with the right hands to retrain them. Right. Unfortunately, this kind of retraining can cause multiple problems in a child, especially if that child is already in middle school. Jesus. Yeah. Things like learning disorders, dyslexia, dyslexia, holy shit, stuttering. And other speech disorders. This is because this retraining forced the kids to go against their natural behavior. And it was like breaking that brain to hand connection. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, there is a direct correlation between your brain and writing something down. Right. And if you're preoccupied with just trying to fucking write it, it's like the communication between your brain and your hand gets distorted. And then you can't even think straight. And then Mm -hmm. shit starts to happen. It starts to manifest itself in other ways. And stuttering is a very big symptom of this retraining. In his teen years, Hansen went through a phase of horrible acne. Who hasn't? Which only exacerbated his self-consciousness and caused him to even be more reclusive. Years later, on February 29th, 1984, In an article in the Daily Sitka Sentinel, Hansen was quoted as saying, if you look real close at me, you can see that I used to have a tremendous amount of pimples on my face. I guess it's because I grew up in a bakery. I am addicted to sweets. My face was always one big yellow pimple. All through high school and even all through the service, it embarrassed me to no end to even be around people. 
And on top of the fact that many times middle and high school years can fucking suck. He was regularly mocked and made fun of in school, and he did not have the game with the ladies. He had no game. Oh. Yeah, and he would often be rejected by the girls he liked after he had finally, finally built up the nerve to approach them and ask them out. He's like, do you want any bread? Is that how he did it? Sure. Let's go with that. So, yeah, and so he would like psych himself up he would go ask them out and they would be like "Mm, no thanks and so that only fanned his lack of self-confidence it was like this vicious negative feedback loop that he lived in he didn't escape this type of treatment from his parents either both his father and mother would regularly demoralize him Mm. with his father being the primary aggressor his mother was the meek type and she was like she was like a yes woman like you know, very meek and didn't, wasn't confrontational. So the emotional abuse he received through his childhood from his domineering father and his subservient mother played a role, a huge role in his formative years. And he began to see that men were the ones that control others and women were expected to do whatever the man told them to do. So as shitty as his dad was to him, was was he awful to his mother as well? Like, was he abusive to... His wife, or was did he get the brunt of it? Um, Hansen definitely got the brunt of his father's disciplinary in nature because of parent-child. Mm-hmm. I did no digging into the relationship between Robert's parents. Gotcha. Yeah, I was just curious if he saw that dynamic as well of his dad treating her horribly or being abusive. So Hansen's father was he ruled the roost. And so right. whatever his father said, his mother did not confront. He, she didn't say, oh, well, I was kind of thinking maybe we could do this instead. Nope. Whatever he said was that was she was a very subservient, meek woman. Gotcha. And so he started to see that that dynamic really played a had a big influence in his formative years. And I mm-hmm. and I think it was the foundation to what he ended up doing later. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense, unfortunately. By the time Hansen was a teen, he basically was a social outcast. And so he started to adapt to this, and he began to really lean into all the time he spent alone. And what he did was he took up hunting, and he started diverting all his rage and resentment. He felt towards all of those that had bullied him and humiliated him, and he funneled that all into hunting animals. Neato. Yeah. He would make it a game to like stalk his prey. And he became an excellent shot with both a gun and bow and arrow. And he even won national awards and titles for his marksmanship. So he was very handy with a gun. And some dough. Okay. If you look at, so all of that, and you look at his childhood and knowing the absolute horrific murders he committed as an adult, the nature versus nurture argument. It's complicated. Yeah. Because especially in this case, I don't think it's one or the other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's a combo for sure. Yeah. I mean, sometimes like someone that is a murderer, they had the the best intentioned, the most loving and supportive parents, an ideal childhood, wanted for nothing. They had a great high school career, whatever. And that person still turned into a fucking murderer. 
Right. And sometimes someone can have the most abusive, fucked up, destructive childhood and parents that, and that person turns into a wonderful human being and actually makes the world a better place. So I personally believe that when one person actually takes another person's life intentionally, they have to have that already inside them. And then maybe the nurture part accelerates or pushes them into a little bit more of a, a distorted masochistic view or whatever. But I really feel like you have to have that inside you mm-hmm. because I don't like, na- if it's your, not your nature, you're not going to do it. Right. You hear stories about people that had their brains mapped and they're surprised to learn that they're a sociopath or a psychopath or whatever, but right. they're not, they've never killed anyone they probably never will. They don't have the urge to kill someone. Maybe that's the whole, like, you have to have that piece in you to actually cross the line. And there can be, there's probably a fuck ton of sociopaths walking around out there, but they're not harmful to others because they just don't have that, that as part of their nature. Right. Okay. So now we're in 1957. So we've gotten through his fucked up childhood. He's 18 years old. And After graduating high school, he joined the Army Reserves. It is thought that perhaps this was his, like, one time that he was going to try and, like, be an upstanding citizen. I don't know. But it was also during this time when his first sexual experience was with a sex worker. Oh. In the same article that I quoted just a bit ago uh, in the Daily Sitka Sentinel, Hanson was quoted as saying, I can probably count on one hand the number of dates I had through high school. It's hard to explain that, what it was like to always be wanting, you know, to see friends and so forth, to go out on dates. And I ask a girl and she'd say, well, no, I'm sorry. I I got something else planned. So this incessant rejection is what led Hanson to begin visiting sex workers in the first place, because otherwise he would have just been, he would have died a virgin, I guess. I don't know. Because he could buy what he was never able to get in a voluntary relationship. And he really, over the years, a lot of resentment because of that. Yeah. After about a year in the reserves, he became an assistant drill instructor at the police academy in Pocahontas, Iowa. And he got married to a local gal. But in 1960, he was arrested for burning down a school bus garage. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. He had convinced a coworker into committing arson with him. And the only reason why Hansen was caught was because the coworker confessed it all to the police and told them everything, including not only Hansen's part in it, but that he was the mastermind behind it and coerced this young, you know, coworker into helping him. I'm sorry. Was there a reason behind that or just destruction? Just destruction. General? Just okay. like, hey, it wasn't a specific this. target. Okay. Nope. Interesting. Hanson's wife of only six months was like, fuck no, and left him and divorced him. She was like, nope. Mm-mm. Yeah. Now the kids can't, can't get to school, dickhead. I'm out. <laughs> Hanson found himself alone, convicted of arson, sentenced to three years in jail, but he was released after only serving just 20 months. And over the next few years, he was in and out of jail for just petty theft. He just was just a general delinquent. Yeah. In 1963, he got married again, this time to a woman named Darla Marie Henriksen. 
who was also from the area. Darla was a devout Christian. She was a very deeply religious woman. In all reality, she knew what she was getting into because she had just she had buried him just a few months after he was released from jail for one of his petty theft crimes. So she knew that he was a delinquent. But at this point, now he's married to Darla, even though he had been in and out of jail for several years, it was all for stupid shit. He was still living in Iowa and he was just being a general piece of shit and a fucking nuisance, but he hadn't directly like harmed anyone. Okay. All right. It was in 1967 when Hanson and Darla decided to move from Iowa to Anchorage, Alaska. Okay. They settled into a small community where over time, Hanson actually became well-liked by most. He opened and operated a small bakery that was successful. It had the reputation of having the best donuts around. He and Darla went on to have two children. Life is kind of grand, right? Like mm. he's he's got a great reputation. He has people that like respect him. He's father now. Makes a mean fucking donut. Makes a mean donut. Whew. However, in early 1971, Hanson found his first victim. He attempted to abduct an 18-year-old girl named Susie Hepburn. She was getting out of her car and heading toward her apartment in Anchorage when Hanson approached her and then pointed a gun at her. Susie's roommate happened to see what was going on and immediately called the fucking police, which spooked Hanson and he literally took off running. He was arrested and charged with assault, though, with a deadly weapon, and he actually served three months in jail for that. Okay, well, good. And Darla, being the ever-doting wife, took their kids and visited him in jail. Oh, dear Darla. Shortly after he, he was released from that little stint, he actually abducted a topless dancer who became a second victim. I believe her name was Christy Hayes, but I'm not sure... Um, I saw it in a couple of sources, irrelevant, but he abducted a topless dancer and had taken her back to his cabin in the, I think it's, it's not Kenai Peninsula, Canal Peninsula, I think is how you pronounce it, Canal. And he brutally raped her. She begged for her life and Hanson agreed to let her live if she wrote down the names and addresses of her family members so he would know where they lived and what their names were which she did. Then he drove her back to Anchorage, dropped her off, and threatened to kill her family if she ever said anything. Wow. But when a few days later, the naked body of a female college student was discovered in a ravine near Canal Peninsula, she decided to go to the police and file a report. Hansen was subsequently arrested, but he never served any time because she was pressured to drop charges against him by others in the community that attested to Hansen's upstanding character are you fucking kidding me yeah like he makes my saturday long johns yep my bismarcks that's this is like when i get so frustrated with cases like these it's like somebody obviously is escalating they continue to commit crimes fucking stop them it's like there's so many cases where somebody keeps getting arrested and let go and then just more and more people get hurt and killed and it's like fucking come on yep in december of 1971 hansen was arrested again for another abduction and attempted rape of a housewife jesus christ then he was arrested again 
for the rape of a sex worker. He was charged with an assault with a deadly weapon in the case of the housewife and pleaded no contest. But as part of the plea bargain he struck with the prosecution, the rape charge of the sex worker was fucking dismissed. See, this is when he should already be in jail for the rest. Like, he should be serving a life term at this point. Yeah, at this point, it's getting a little like, ugh. He he got five years in prison for that, but he only served six months. But he was released to a halfway house and put in a work release program, which did fucking nothing. Just so you know, if if you're wondering if Darla decided to leave him and take the kids, she did not. She stood by her man. At a girl. Aces. Okay. So up to this point, while Hanson had, I mean, certainly he had committed all kinds of atrocities and heinous acts against several women at this point, he hadn't actually killed anyone that we know of or that he's admitted to. So he hasn't crossed the line yet. That would all change, however, as police suspected that Hansen was responsible for the murder of a young woman by the name of Celia. She went by Beth, but her name was Celia Van Zanten. And as we move through the rest of Hansen's victims, I was able to get really great detail from many sources, including a couple that I wanted to call out here, Serial Dispatches, which relied on the book called Fair Game by Bernard Duclos, which is a great name. Mm-hmm. And Leland Hale's website, who also wrote the book, Butcher Baker, The True Account of an Alaskan Serial Killer. So that's the upside of covering a case that's been widely reported. I had fucking sources coming out of my ass. It was a nice, refreshing change. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Beth Van Zanten. 18-year-old Beth left her parents' house to pop into a convenience store that was just down the road the evening of December 22nd, 1971, and she disappeared. The next day, her concerned family reported her missing to the police. They were like, what the fuck? She just went to the convenience store. Here it is the next day. Three days later, on Christmas fucking day, Beth's body was discovered down a steep ravine by two brothers who were out testing out a new camera that they had gotten for Christmas. Mm. She was found with her hands tied behind her back and evidence at the scene showed she fought like fucking hell to climb back up that ravine embankment, but she just couldn't get to the top. Oh, damn. She ultimately died from exposure. Fuck. Cause it's like fucking late December in Alaska yeah. in the wilderness. Police. Stomach. Yeah, police believe Hansen threw Beth into the ravine still alive because the evidence showed she was trying to climb up that hill. Hansen denied killing Beth. He was like, nope, that wasn't my work. But authorities believed he was responsible for her murder due to an X that marked the location of where they found her body on an aviation map that they ultimately later found in his home after his capture. Oh, wow. But he's denying it. He's like, nope, that's not my handiwork. But yet, where her body was found, there's an X on an aviation map that was in his home. Wow. Police also suspected Hansen was responsible for the murder of two other women. The first woman was 17-year-old Megan Soibon Emmerich. She was a college student attending the Seaward Skills Center, which is actually now known as the Alaska Vocational Technical Center. The last time she was seen was when she was folding laundry in her dorm hall on July 7th, 1973. She walked out of her dorm building that day and she was never seen or heard from again. 
Wow. She was reported also, missing. Sorry. What? <laughs> when, what? You said, when you said C word, I just thought cunt. Like, I, like not C word, like S-E-A. I just. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like the C word academy. No, C word, S-E-W-A-R-D. Not the C word. <laughs> it's like. What a weird name for attending the C word <laughs> skill center. Sorry. I was like, what? She was reported missing three days later on July 10th. To date, her body has never been found. Aww. But authorities believe Hansen killed Megan and buried her body somewhere near C words, not the C word, but C words <laughs> resurrection bay. As with Beth, Hansen denied killing Megan, but again, authorities believed he was responsible for her disappearance and presumed death because they found an X mark that marked the location of her grave on the aviation map, but they weren't able to find her body there. Jesus. The other woman was 23-year-old Mary Kathleen Till. The last time she was seen was on July 5th, 1975 in Seward, by a friend who gave her a ride to the bakery Hansen owned, and then by another friend who saw her at the Lowell Point Road waterfall that afternoon. After that sighting by the waterfall, she was never seen or heard from again. Her husband was away at the time working on the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. When he learned of Mary's disappearance, he put up a $1,000 award that ultimately had never was never claimed. Because, mm-hmm. again, Hansen's denying, nope. Not my handiwork. I had nothing to do with Mary's disappearance. I didn't abduct her. I didn't murder her. But again, authorities found an X on that damn aviation map, but they couldn't find her body. Though police now suspected Hansen of killing three girls, they didn't have enough evidence to prove it. Meanwhile, around this time, this was like, I think starting around 1975, Alaska was seeing a big fucking influx of construction workers and like all kinds of people due to Mm -hmm. the erection of that Trans-Alaska oil pipeline. It was like an 800 mile long pipeline. And this boom in a population also attracted the sex workers and the drug dealers and the con artists and the exotic dancers, people that were eager to make a living off the money that was starting to flow through the area. Unfortunately, people were coming and going all the time. So seeing someone one day and then never seeing them again just wasn't unusual. Right. So Hansen took note of this and he decided to level up his game by targeting women that wouldn't be missed. Mm. He also, when he was eventually caught and he started confessing, he admitted that there were good girls and there were bad girls and good girls. He highly respected and bad girls, AKA the sex workers, the exotic dancers were beneath him. And so they were rubbish and he didn't, who cares what, who cares what he did to them or what happened to them. Isn't that disgusting? That's yeah. It's awful. And it was this transient environment that Hansen used to conceal his movements and activities for so long. It was, he, he was active for like 12 years and that was how he was able to fly under the radar. Wow. And he's still married. Oh, Darla's still hanging out. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. In 1976, Hansen was arrested again, this time for stealing a chainsaw from a store. He was convicted of felony larceny due to his prior convictions and was sentenced to serve five years. Mm. 
He was also forced into psychiatric treatment for bipolar disorder. Hansen appealed his sentence, and for whatever reason, incompetence was one of them. The Alaska Supreme Court reduced his sentence and just released Hansen. So now at this point, we can see a total repeated failure of the system to assess and recognize Hansen for who he was, a really fucking dangerous person. Yeah, who has clearly escalated. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, they think he's killed three women. It's like, okay, yeah, come on, guys. Yeah. So if we're going to get him on larceny and we're going to give him the five years, then fucking put him in jail for five years. Yeah. How many, that chainsaw should have been enough to put him away for years. Cause how many strikes is that? That fucker up. So many. Like he obviously can't behave being out of prison. So keep his ass in there. There was even a psychiatrist who determined Hanson was a quote, markedly disturbed man with a highly potential psychotic or high schizophrenic scale. Yeah. So Agreed. people were seeing this and, and guess what? Darla still stayed right by his side. As time went on, he became more sophisticated in his techniques. He started first with securing his victims with rope. Then he moved to using wire snares. And I was like, what is a wire snare? So I looked it up and it's like super thin, like, metal like like metal wire think like it looks like really thick fishing line Mm -hmm. and if you pull it too tight i mean that's just gonna cut right into your skin it's fucking crazy it's used to trap animals correct yeah okay yeah okay and then eventually he started using handcuffs when he began killing he would bury his victims but over time he just stopped spending the energy to bury them and instead he just left them where he shot them, which caused a lot of damage to the bodies because of the Alaskan elements and the animals. Right. So he was like, ah, well, I'll just let the Alaska weather and the wildlife take care of my, uh, take care of it for me. Let the wolves get them. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. When he would plan to meet a victim, usually a sex worker, he would tell her his car was a different make, model, or color so that the sex worker would share this inaccurate information with their johns. When he picked up sex workers, he would wait and let them approach his car. Then he'd offer them unbelievable money for sex, like $200 or $300. Again, this is in the 70s and early 80s, which today is like $525 to $910. Damn. So fucking gigantic money, and they couldn't resist it. I mean- the sex workers are working to make money. If they can get two or three hundred dollars for a blowjob, they're going to do it. I mean, I'd consider it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the holidays are just around the corner. <laughs> You've got gifts to buy. Yeah, I need some stocking stuffers. Once he got them in his car, he'd roughly grab their hair to immobilize them and it would surprise them and shock them into a little bit of like, what, you know, he'd shove a gun in their face and immediately restrain their hands, like with handcuffs or wire snares. In some cases, he would only hunt and rape them and then take them back to Anchorage, drop them off and warn them not to go to the police. So he would abduct them. He would drive them to a remote, isolated area. He would let them go and tell them to run. And then he would hunt them with a gun. And when he captured them, 
He would viciously and violently rape them, sometimes repeatedly. And then he would just take them back to Anchorage and drop them off and say, don't you dare go to the fucking police because I know who you are and I know where you live. Jesus Christ. And at that point, he's gotten off so many times. He thinks he's... Yeah. Like, who's going to believe... Who's going to believe a sex worker? Right. And yeah. He, that that absolutely plays a part in this. Oh, man. So he so... had a game. He he admitted when he was going through his confession that he had a game he would play with his victims. His victims didn't know he was playing this game. If his victim was compliant, didn't resist, didn't put up a fuss, accepted her fate, was ready to die, he would let her live. If his victim resisted, fought back, tried to escape, fight for her life, give it her all, go down swinging, he would fucking kill her. Wow. That just, like, that just made me nauseous. It's disgusting. And there's something, too, about, like, I can't imagine literally, like, running for my life, being hunted. Knowing somebody is is out there in, usually this was at night because sex workers work at night Mm -hmm. in isolated remote areas with dense forests and brush. Most of the time they were naked, which has a level of vulnerability already. Right. And then he would fucking hunt them. And imagine like they're like, they're crouched down. Cause I was thinking about this. I I had to put this down while I was writing this. I had to step away a few times because You know, I try to understand, like, it's one thing to just write words and like to read articles, but it's another to truly understand, or there's no way I can understand. No way can I understand what any of these women went through. Mm -hmm. And I hope I never do. I hope I never do, but no way. But, you know, they're out there crouched trying to like make themselves as small and as invisible as possible. And they hear a branch snap off to the left. Mm-hmm. that's got to be fucking terrifying. Right. And to just not know if you're running in the right direction. Like, are you running farther away from any help that you're definitely going to just succumb to the elements at some point? Like there's just so many factors that make it just absolutely horrifying. Like I can't imagine the fear yeah. that they must have been feeling. And this is where we'll end for part one. Okay. In part two, we're going to talk about the rest of Hanson's victims that we know about and how Hanson was eventually caught. Okay. So that's coming in part two. So thank you everyone for listening and be sure to tune in for part two. Yeah. Part two is going to be more rough than this, but that's the beginning of this horrible monster Hanson. Yeah. He's a dick. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. The support is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But if you guys haven't already done so, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. People keep asking how they can support the show. Right now, the best way is to just share the podcast. So if you can tell a friend or share a post on social media, whatever it might be, just to get the name out there right now, that's the best you can do. And we would appreciate it. So please, and thank you in advance. If you have any case suggestions, give us a shout at crimewilltellpod at gmail.com. Well, on that note, bye, James. Goodbye, Carrie. It was a pleasure. Okay, goodbye.
Octavia. Okay. But oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. Holla. Yeah, I mean just like that. I know, it's bedtime. Like right now. Oh. Yeah. Hoo da hoo. Oh. 